You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Season 2, Episode 27. It is a sizzling Fireside Chat Friday because it is time to introduce an amazing guest, one that we have been waiting and waiting and waiting for. And finally, the scheduling gods gave us a green light to go ahead and do this. We have uh, someone who I'm going to bet if you are paying attention to CX, if you are paying attention to LinkedIn, if you are paying attention to the global CX community, if you are reading anything about CX, you have at least an idea of who she is. But the point of today is to get to know her even better. We have Mandisa Makubalo. We are so happy to have you. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires. <laughs> can you hear us, Mandisa? Well, let, let, let's, let's have the group hear you to make sure that we know that they, they can hear your voice. I'm here, Cape Town. It's just after 4 p.m. on a Friday, and it's a happy hour. <laughs> if you're watching the video, she just pulled up a glass of something. We're not going to ask her what's in the glass, but that's okay. At least she has a, a glass, glass of water. That's a glass of water. Perfect. We are so lucky to have her because, by the way, uh, it is morning my time, but it is late afternoon her time, and we are standing between her leaving her office and celebrating her weekend, which is another reason why we're so special and, and lucky to have her. Paul, if I were to guess... As always, but even more so right now, you are what today? All right, side chats Friday, mate. I'm buzzing. I am buzzing. This is going to be like it's just sizzling. The electricity from Disa is is just crackling. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> buzzing and crackling. Of course, it is. It, it's it's going to be great. Um, it, it, it is. So here's what we're talking about today. This is season two, episode twenty-seven. The title of our session today is the same title of Mandisa's chapter in the book that she contributed, which we'll get to in a second. Title of today's session, Why Diversify Your CX Strategy? As I had mentioned, Mandisa is a contributing author to the Customer Experience 3 book. We're going to be talking about her chapter in that book. Uh, the main topic we'll be talking about today is diversity, uh, diversity in CX. Um, and from her LinkedIn profile, Mandisa is the founder and managing director of Unlimited Experiences SA. She is also the founding member of Women in CX, and she is an executive board member in Hope Africa Collective. Mandisa, once again, it's such a privilege to have you. Thank you for joining us. Um, we want to talk about so many things, but diversity is the first one um, that we're going to get to. I have so many questions around diversity, and I'm going to be the first one to raise my hand. And I'm going to say this is an area that for me that is relatively new. Mm -hmm. It's an area that I will also admit is not the most comfortable for me. Um, yes. And, and so I'm really looking forward to maybe even getting a little uncomfortable and learning. And, and I want you to challenge me, challenge us, challenge the way we think. Um, I want to know how in the world did you get started on the topic of diversity in CX, because if you ask me, and I read a lot of this, a lot in LinkedIn, and I pay a lot of attention to who's doing what, I think you are a pioneer, if not the pioneer, in the conversation of diversity in CX. Please tell us about how you got started with it. 
Okay, so first of all, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited. It's a Friday. It's a nice way to end the week. So I couldn't have even ask for a better way to end the week than to be with yourself and me and Paul on, on the fireside um, side chats. So um, what I have, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very huge fan of listening to Simon Sinek now and again. And there was a conversation that he, um, that was recorded on YouTube and in terms of one of his, one of his chats. And it was about the finite and the infinite game. So in this conversation, he explains just two types. So he talks about the game of business. And then he says there's a finite game and an infinite game. Now, in these two types of games, you have players in both um, sets of games. And in the finite game, you have these players that have a set of rules. There's a way of doing things. And in the infinite game, there's no set of rules. Nobody gets to own and write the rules. And now what you're having is that there are finite players that are coming into the infinite game and it's a struggle for them because there's always a set of rules and the way of doing things. Now you're coming into a space where there's no set of rules. You know, everybody's just perpetuating the game. There's no competition. It's not about who gets to win. But in the infinite game, what we're saying is that we are perpetuating the game of business. And when I looked at what's happening in this customer experience community, so because now we're in a state where the globe is wide open as a result of the pandemic, you have finite players, a finite game, infinite players and in, an, an, an infinite game. And there's always been this set of rules, known play, the players are known to one another, and there's a set way of doing things. Now, because the globe is now wide open and the landscape has completely changed, and from a customer perspective, customers have access to a whole lot of things and they're in a much um, authoritative space in terms of what it is that they are looking for. You cannot be operating in this infinite game with a finite way of thinking. Then I sat down and I was also looking at this set of players and what has been happening in the CX community before and what is happening now. It's quite challenging because certain individuals are not able to embrace the space that we are in right now and the fact that we are all gunning for the same we have a common denominator who is a customer and as a finite player coming into an infinite game it's kind of difficult because right now we don't know all the players in the game but all that we are concerned about is about perpetuating the game of customer experience it's not about who's going to win the game or not, but we have the same end goal in mind, perpetuating the game of CX. Now, that then started a series of conversations within me in saying that we have now all seen how diverse we are. You know, I'm based in South Africa, in, in, in the townships of South Africa, and I'll explain later on what that is, you know, what a township is and what's unique about the township. And then I'm in this game, which is a finite game, but I'm, I see myself as an infinite player because I'm saying that it's all about perpetuating the discipline of customer experience management. And it's for me to really always understand and never be removed from the fact that the common denominator is a customer. It's not about Mandisa who knows more than the other, but it's a fact that we have a customer in mind and who is that customer 
And if we keep on keep our focus on this one customer, we are able to embrace the diversity that we bring as a customer experience community. And how is that reflected in how we do our work is quite important. So then I started realizing that, you know, as long as there is a customer, if you look at diversity, what it is, if you look at customer experience, at the heart of both of these, there is an individual and there is a customer. In the space of diversity, it is called people. If you look at customer experience, it is called a customer. But at the center of diversity and at the center of customer experience, there is a human being. That's a common denominator between the two. And there's no way that there can't be, you can't embrace and express diversity in how you do things within the customer experience space. And that's how the chapter came about, is to say that diversity, there's a, there's a person, and in customer experience, there's a person, whether it's called a customer or it's called a person or a human being, but at the heart of both of these, there is a human being. And it's quite important to be able to find that link and being able to show that and demonstrate the fact that there is a person at the heart of customer experience and diversity. You tell a wonderful story in your chapter. Well, it's, it's wonderful in that it's descriptive. It's a quite sad story, actually, about this particular person. It's a consumer in a township yes. in South Africa yes. um, who has a very frustrating experience with a bank. Yes. It's a real story? It's a real story, and the person behind it is actually myself. <laughs> I had guessed that. I, I had guessed that it was autobiographical. Um, yeah. let's, let's summarize a little bit more of the story, if we can, together. Uh, well, by the way, I'm testing my reading comprehension that I'm accurate. But um, the story, if I remember, is that uh, this person has an income of a certain level that qualifies yes. this person to receive certain benefits and services at the bank. Yes. But it seems like to get access to those services, the person must go to the branch. There's a branch yes. branch that is opened relatively close to the house the, the, where the, the person lives. Yes. But the person is greatly frustrated and surprised multiple times going to the branch to find out that those services that are needed are not in fact offered. They're supposed yes. to be a relationship manager. The relationship manager doesn't really exist. It doesn't, it, it's not there. Yes. What happens? Bank closes down for some renovations for a couple months. Yes. Nobody was informed. Customers weren't informed. Yes. Bank opens a few months later. Mm -hmm. What happens to the relationship manager and the services that were promised? It's gone. It's not even part of the bank anymore. Not that branch, at least. Yes. Conclusion of the story, a very frustrated customer. Yes. Feels tricked that there mm -hmm. were things that were promised that weren't delivered. And the story taking place in a township, um, I believe the conclusion is that the diverse or different uh, customers of the bank that live in that township that may be different than other parts of the country 
were in fact maybe duped, tricked, not given what they were promised. Is yeah. that a good summary? Very, very well done. <laughs> I read it. I read it, right. I, 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 I was going to capture it. I was going to summarize it sufficiently. Um, so we, we now, so we know that this is unfortunately uh, a, an autobiographical story that you've, you endured there. Uh, I have so many questions about this. One of my first ones as I read this was, okay, if you're the bank, what a bunch of idiots. Why would you promise something and then not deliver it? And the conclusion I make there is you only do that if you think you can get away with it. Yep. You you're not going to be held accountable if nobody really needs that. If Mandisa is just one of thousands and thousands of clients that really don't really need those services, maybe they made a decision that it's not in their interest to provide those services if Mandisa is just one. Yep. Is that is that what happened, do you think? It's a combination of things. So if you if you read further down into the chapter, you will see I've listed down five five things or five reasons why a customer experience strategy sometimes fails. And one of them is that there's a, a lot of leadership biases. So you have a leadership team that leaves out critical stakeholders as they come up with the strategies, because sometimes they tend to think that these are the people or stakeholders that are part of the problem. So they leave them out when it comes to a solution. And then secondly, the one thing that I talk about also is that you leave out the voice of the customer. So all of these institutions have data sets within the, their frameworks and their systems. But because banks in South Africa, a lot of them are operating on legacy systems and the information is sitting in different frame um, systems within the bank itself, it's difficult for them to actually, to actually get a one view of the customer. So if banks were able to harness the data that they have inside, before they even go and set up in a township where I'm located, like Guguletu, for example, if the bank has the ability and the capability to analyze the insights that they have and the data that they have, they'll be able to come up with customized and tailor-made solutions for that specific area that they are thinking of moving their services into. But for me, it shows complete ignorance of the fact, the fact that there's data inside, you know, the voice of the customer that's left out. Because if you were able to really embrace the voice of the customer to the data that you have, we were able to customize and build solutions that are able to, because you can then see that in Kukuletu, there's 300,000 Mandisas and there's 200,000 Pauls, there's 200,000 meals. And this is their behavior and their spend. This is the packages that they have with us as a bank their profiles. So based on these sets of data that we have, what is the appropriate solution that we then move into that space? Not for you to set up a whole bank with a full banking suite of services, only to realize three months later that maybe it's not needed. Then you decide to cut out and remove some of those services without even having the courtesy of communicating with those people to say, we have made a decision as a bank after having looked at the information that we have, this is what we're going to do. But even that decision must be informed by the insights that you have inside the bank, which is representing the voice of the customer. So the biggest thing for me is the fact that 
there was a complete neglect of the data that sits within the bank before they even moved to Kubernetes. Because if they really had harnessed the data that they have inside the bank, they wouldn't have made that costly mistake that they made because reputationally there was a cost and financially there was a cost for them as an institution. Yeah, it would seem to me that if you're going to have a branch in a township, and, and I don't know anything about townships, but I'm, I'm making general assumptions based on what I think I read. You should know who your community is in that township and how best to serve them, right? Exactly. The yeah. same as, as a supermarket. If you're going to have a supermarket in a certain neighborhood, you should know more or less who the people are that live in that neighborhood and what things they want to buy to eat, what their tastes are, what their preferences are. Yes, uh, yes. Right? If you're a car yes. manufacturer and you know you want to cater to a certain demographic, well, you have to understand what that demographic wants, right? Exactly, yes. Are, are companies really that, I'm gonna say it, stupid, ignorant? They're that, is it lazy? <laughs> what is it that causes them to ignore things like demographics, what is it stupid? I, I, I think that the best response to that question is because I'm also quite careful of making assumptions when I'm advocating against customers and companies that make assumptions. So it could be a combination of things, but I think in the chapter, I'm, I'm quite specific in terms of the reasons why I think these kind of things happen. And I spoke about the, the, the biases within the leadership. I spoke about the fact that a lot of companies tend to want to think for a customer. You know, and I remember there was a conversation that I had in one of these podcasts where I said, look, don't try to be clever. Just talk, talk to your customers. Let them tell you what they need. Don't waste your time and resources trying to think for the customer. Speak to your customers. Get information from them and use that, you know, in, in, in combined with your business strategy, you take your CX strategy, combine those two and push out and drive value for your customers. But a lot of the time, companies tend to wanna think for customers and why that happens, it's really beyond me because like now I've just recently published today, we published in the very first state of CX report for the townships of South Africa and we're doing it according to sectors. So we're starting with the banking sector because it has the biggest footprint in the township. Now what I'm saying is that I know these guys are not harnessing the data. So let me go on a research journey where I'm getting them the insights and I'm saying, here's the insights. Let us work together to, you know, to transform the culture of customer experience within the townships because it looks like you guys are not harnessing and embracing the wealth of information that you have. So I'm gonna give you real-time statistics. And those reports are intended to be a business case to start strategic conversations and collaborations with these different sectors. And the end goal is not to expose anybody, but it's about saying, how can we transform and give and, and, and break this experience divide that we have because there's a huge experience divide in the townships and in the cities in South Africa. It's, it's, it's huge, it's in your face. So how can we break this, how can we fix this experience divide that we have through 
listening to what, because if you look at the reports that I've published today, I've got a lot of comments there verbatim from customers. Some customers are saying, we deserve what others are getting. Now for me, that's a very deep and emotional statement from a customer. And it highlights the depth of the problem that we have, because a customer is saying that I'm also deserving of what my Lisa is getting who is in the city, and if I'm in the township, I'm deserving of the same. That's a loaded statement from a customer. So that's why I'm saying that it's because institutions tend to want to think for the customer, and you waste a lot of resources, time, you're frustrating your employees, instead of just engaging with your customers and letting them tell you what it is that they are looking for. Because at the end of the day, it's their money. It's not your money. You are looking for them to spend with you. So make it worthwhile for them to spend money with you. You do a nice job, and I'd like you, if you could, to summarize it. I think it's towards the end of your chapter. There is, I think it's five recommendations in putting a plan together. So if you're an organization, a company, whether in South Africa, whether in London, New York, Shanghai, wherever it is, what are those recommendations to a company that needs or wants to, for the first time, embrace diversity? What should they do? So diversity, it, it can go so wrong. You know, you know, it can go so wrong. It's a sensitive matter. And I think a lot of the times there's a lack of understanding of diversity. That because diversity has people at the core, it can go so wrong. There are so many things that you could do that could have so much implications, legal implications for you as a brand if it's not really well understood because you are dealing with a human being, an employee, and in some countries, in most countries, there are legislative requirements that you need to comply with. And if you don't comply with those requirements, you could get yourself into big trouble. So I recently posted something on LinkedIn about a workshop that I did with business leaders recently. It was intended to focus on diversity and inclusion because for them, it was a solution that they needed to a couple of business challenges. And I did not go in there wearing a CX expert cap or went in there with a diversity and inclusion cap, expert cap, but I went in there just seeking to hear from them. And I, and I, I, I practice fearless listening. I listened to them. I observed them. And at the end of the three days, for them, it was like I was talking myself out of diversity and inclusion or out of the entire project, the workshop. But I really wanted to see whether or not they understand because there's no use me coming in there saying, let us do a diversity and inclusion um, maturity assessment. What am I assessing if these guys don't even know what it's about? So... I, I recommend the design thinking methodology in, in the chapter as a solution because what it does is it is not focused on historical data. It doesn't depend much on historical data, but it encourages futuristic resolutions for customers. It starts with the empathy stage. So the empathy is about really allowing you to get, to uncover the emotions, to, to seek stories. It's non-judgmental. It's about really getting this deep understanding of your customer. Once you have been able to empathize and understand through observing your customers, I was even saying the one day that imagine a bank setting up a little small branch in the township 
before they can actually scale to other townships, set up this one small branch and use that as a, a, a hub to test certain things. And once you've done all of that, that will be a prototype and a testing prototype before you can actually scale into other provinces because then you have actual insights. So you start with empathy. Once you've gone through the empathy stage, you then take all the insights that you would have been able to glean from the empathy stage. Then you start to define. But the nice thing about the defining stage is that you are defining a human-centric problem statement based on the insights that you would have gleaned from your empathy stage. Once you've done that, you've now been able to define this human-centric problem statement based on your observations in the empathy stage, then you go into the ideation stage. Now, the, the nice thing again about the ideation is that you are now coming up with ideas that are non-judgmental because you have a definite problem, human-centered problem statement, which is based on actual insights and observations. Now you can ideate. You know, once you've done the ideation stage, you then go into prototyping of your CX strategy because now you have actual insights that you're not using historical data. Imagine having to use data from before the, 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 the global pandemic, using that information to build a CX strategy, which is futuristic. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's chaos. You know, it's a recipe for, for disaster. So the prototype allows you to build storyboards and mock-ups. You're role-playing. You know, you're coming up with this prototype of your CX strategy. And then you go into the testing, which is the last stage of design thinking. The testing stage allows you to go back and say, what, if, what has gone right? What has gone wrong? You are testing with the same people that you have empathized with at the beginning. Now, if you look at across all five stages of design thinking, there is a person right in the middle of that. At the heart of design thinking, it's, there's a person. And if you look at customer experience, it is called customer experience because there is a customer who is a person. And then you look at diversity. Diversity is a practice that says, are we recognizing you know, the, the differences in people? So again, across all three of these, design thinking, diversity, customer experience, the, the, the common denominator is a customer. And we, it's, we cannot, we can, there's no way that you can come up with this customer experience strategy for a human being who by nature is very diverse. By nature, we are different. I am different to my daughter. I am different to my mom. So by our very nature as human beings, we are quite diverse, we are different. And there's no way that you can have a customer experience strategy unless you want to call it an experience strategy. You can get away with that. But as long as the name customer is in that statement, unfortunately, the reality is that it's got to show that you are embracing the nuances, the dynamics, the differences of, of, of the customers, of the individuals. And that's what I'm recommending, that it has to be human-centric. We're not designing a business strategy. It is a customer experience strategy. And as long as the term customer is still in that, in that term, you have to show due respect for differences. You have to show due, due respect for diversity and understanding. And it has to be reflected in your, in your strategy. And you can only achieve that by really empathizing, defining the human-centric problem statement, 
and then ideating a customer experience strategy based on a problem that is human-centric. And then we develop a prototype, we create storyboards and mock-ups. Then you go and test that same strategy with the very same people that you would have empathized with. That's the only way you can achieve success with your customer experience strategy. I really liked uh, of your model of the five recommendations that you began with empathize. That's a quite different, uh, distinct approach than many uh, project management philosophies and approaches. The first one being here, empathize, taking the time to understand, but empathize. By the way, I'm in, in, when we talk about CX, I'm not necessarily, personally speaking, I'm not the biggest fan of empathy as, a, as an objective. However, I think for yes. what we're talking about here, in, in creating and understanding how to how to set diversity strategy, I, I do think it is it's critical. I, I, I like it. It's a departure from I think more common, general, larger thinking about how to uh, let's call it project manager or or, or, or attack a a, a big yes. task. I, I like this one. I want to ask you. Um, this picks up just a little bit more on on what we were just talking about. So diversity is good business strategy. So it's, it's not a diversity. This, 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 this is my take on diversity. And I'm free to be challenged on it. But when I look at diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of these beautiful terms that we come up with, um, I ask myself sometimes, how did we get to this stage? Because if you look at diversity and what it's about, at the heart of diversity, it is saying that, let us go back to basics. Somewhere, somehow, we have failed and stopped to embrace our differences as human beings. And what diversity is saying, it is telling us, Mandisa, embrace Neil for who he is, because Neil is different and is unique, and it's supposed to be in that way. But now that we have, as, 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 a, as a human race, we have somehow failed to embrace and recognize our differences. We have these beautiful terms coming up, diversity, equity, inclusion. But if you really spend some time and look at all of these combined, it is really saying that let us go back to embracing one another as hum human beings, which we have failed to do at some point. You know, because now it starts talking about all these different layers about um, your, 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 your sex, your gender, your sexual orientation, your culture, religion. But all of those things is what makes Mandisa. And if you can only just recognize me for who I am and not start opening up all these layers about my color, my race, where I live, how much I earn, and then you can only connect with me because of these things. But diversity, equity, and inclusion, this is something I said on a, on a chat that we had I was a part of a panel on Clubhouse. I actually said this, and I'm saying it again, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as a result of us failing to acknowledge each other for who we are naturally as human beings, we are now dealing with diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have some discipline that's calling us
Mendiza just froze for just a moment. We're going to wait for her to hopefully come back. She was on a roll here. She was, wasn't it? Excuse me. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was Mendiza or me, mate. I was about to. Oh, she's back. Oh, there she she's is. Back. She's back. I'm back. Mendisa, you were you were delivering a very powerful statement, and I, I I really appreciated it. Unfortunately, I think we might have lost just a little piece of it uh, due to an internet glitch. Yeah. But uh, I, I I really value what you just said. Um, in my view, and I'll, I'll just conclude this little part here is is um, you're right. We are all here. We're all part of the game, whether finite or infinite. We might as well play together. That's good for business. Yes. Playing together is good yep. for business. Bad for business is dividing, uh, excluding, eliminating. Yes. That's bad for yes. business. Yes. It really is. We can gain much more, I believe, when we're together. And I do believe that uh, when businesses are able to find a way to make one plus one equal three, it is, it's beneficial for everyone, and there's ways of doing that. Um, I, I believe. I, I so appreciate what you shared with us. I want to uh, change gears just a little bit. You have a project that you were involved in, and we had a chance to just talk about it so quickly the last time we talked during the CX World Games. Oh yes, yes. But I'd, like, yes. I'd like you to share with the audience a little bit about the project that you're working on. So the project, it's, it's called the, virtu the Virtual Talent Room. So what, what brought that about is the fact that myself and my daughter had experienced unemployment. And fortunately, we had one another. And I realized that as a result of the global pandemic, you know, every single day we see statistics about unemployment, especially the youth. In South Africa, the youth is anyone between 18 and 35 years of age. And we're seeing the numbers rising and rising and rising. And I sat down and I realized that unemployment cannot be reduced to just mere numbers. It's actually beyond that, it's quite deep. And more so now because there's the global pandemic, I often hear companies saying that they're not able to find talent. And on the one side of the spectrum, I hear people saying, we're not finding jobs. And I realized there was a disconnect somewhere. And I had to sit down and say, Mandy, so how can we help reach this gap? And then we started the virtual talent room. And also what I was trying to do was trying to be innovative. So I looked at the current recruitment landscape in South Africa. The traditional methods of recruitment right now disqualify a lot of our people that are coming from historically disadvantaged communities. Because you are having a challenge of not having a skill set to do a professional CV. You are having to, you live in a structure, sometimes it's those housing tin structures. You live with nine people in the house. You don't, the, the environment itself isn't conducive for you to have a virtual interview. You might not have a smartphone. In South Africa, free access to Wi-Fi is a nightmare. The, the most you will get a day is about 50 megabytes. It doesn't even allow you to upload your CV to these different portals. And the price of data is quite expensive. For some people, they have a problem. Do I buy a loaf of bread to feed my family or do I buy myself data to upload my CV? That's a very deep problem. Do I buy myself some sanitary um, items or do I buy data? That's a, that's a half problem. You know, do I buy a token for electricity to provide light 
for my family or do I buy data to load my CV? That's a genuine and a real problem. Then I said, Manisa, what can you do to flip the recruitment industry on its head? What can you do to challenge the current recruitment methods and what do you have um, that you can offer? So then we put a call out on social media and we invited youth between ages of 18 and 35 years old, specifically women in the townships of South Africa. And we paid for their month for their travel to come to our offices. I spent time, we had about 15 that we chose as part of the pilot. And those 15 came in, we asked them to dress up, we gave them a brief, we asked them to bring their CVs. They came into the office, I had a 30 minute one-on-one -on -one with them to really understand the impact of unemployment and how things have been since they've been unemployed. We then, I've worked with them through their CVs. So what we have successfully done now, we've launched a YouTube channel and the intention is to leverage, leverage technology to showcase the talent that we have. So what I'm saying is that right now, the guys are having to take their CVs to a recruitment agency, which is outside of the township. It's again, traveling money. And some of them are disqualified in that process because they don't have expert CV writing skills. So I'm offering corporates that are looking for talent a different experience. I'm saying that get to see Mandisa, experience this candidate with me on a podcast, get to see their body language, get to hear from them, you know, um, listen to how they bring themselves across. I also help them to understand how they can package themselves and position themselves for these corporates because I've been in the corporate space. I have an understanding of building assessment centers. I know what, what recruiters are looking for and companies are looking for. So I'm saying if you're looking for a job as a call center agent, this is what, when a company puts out an advert for a call center agent, this is the business need they are trying to meet. So how do you respond to that business need is how I help them. We then create LinkedIn profiles for them as well. Some of them have never ever been on a podcast. They were so excited. Some were so frightened. Um, some of them don't even know what LinkedIn is. We've created LinkedIn profiles for all of them. And we've pushed them out on, on YouTube. And my intention is to really catch the eyeballs of recruiters. Just to say, get to experience this person. The CV can follow, but just listen to them. You know, see if it's because most companies, they recruit based on culture. So if you're able to see Mandisa and you like what you see, we can then send you the CV. Right now, it's first the CV before you see the person. And I'm trying to change that. I'm saying that, you know, these guys, they've got so much potential. And sometimes the CV does them so much injustice. And I'm trying to change that. What a wonderful effort. Yeah, I, I think that um, there are barriers, barriers to entry for companies. There are barriers to entry if you're an employee or looking for a job. Um, and many of those in, in, in our economies, we take some of those things for granted. We're not aware of them. Um, yes. Incredible work that you're doing, bringing this to life, but more importantly, providing a solution for them. I, I can only imagine how much fun it is to observe the energy and excitement of the people you work with to do a podcast, to record a video for YouTube. Uh, for the first time, that excitement and anticipation of taking that next step and jumping in. Um, can I tell you something, Neil? In the process of having this conversation with all of them, I found myself crying because I could see the potential in these young ladies. 
I promise you, they've got so much potential. If I had opportunities, I would take all of them in my company and employ them. They've got so much knowledge, but sometimes they have not been told that this is so much potential that you have. You know, nobody believes in some of them. And I listened to them and I cried sometimes. Now I would get home and I would like, if only I could just have this massive company and take these guys in because they are so talented. But right now the methods of recruitment that we are using is working against them. Yeah. You know, and and some of them, two of them have secured employment. I'm happy to say that. Two out of the 15 have secured employment. And I'm hoping that we can get more companies to come and say, Mandisa, we want talent pool from you. You know, and I'm and and hopefully what we're trying to build is a web-based platform that will house all of these podcasts. I'm also looking at doing a series of educative um, webinars where I can invite global thought leaders to come and talk about things like professionalism, critical thinking, values, goal alignment, so these youth can have access to this zero-rised zero or zero-rated web-based platform as an education tool. So there's a platform on the one end in the same space where you can put yourself out there to be recognized by, by recruiters and, and corporates. On the one end is an education piece where you can get to choose, attend master classes or webinars as an unemployed person to build on your skill set at no cost. But I want to be selective in terms of the thought leadership that I put into the platform. And I'm still in the process of um, getting and sourcing some investments to build the platform, which will be a all-in-one. So it's a virtual talent room where there's an education piece to it. There is the profiling of the candidates and then companies can then subscribe. So the revenue model will be that companies get to subscribe and they pay a fee to get access to this talent pool that will be on that platform. And we use that and I want the youth to build. So I want that to be a platform that's built by the youth for the youth. I cannot think for them. They are the ones that are living with the problem of unemployment. So they, it's, it's got to be the first in South Africa that is built by, designed by the youth and for the youth of South, of South Africa. And I'm giving them ownership of changing the status quo right now. If they can change it, I know they can. I've sat with these guys and they've got the potential to do so. So that platform, I won't build myself. It is their baby. And hopefully the guys that get to build the platform will then be able to have access to getting seats in the company. So it becomes a business and they get to be the ones that own and are now business owners. Having started off as unemployed youth, now they get to build a business, which they will have a stake in. So that's my vision for, for, for that space. What a wonderful program. Hats off to you for doing that. What we know, uh, Paul and I are both uh, active in the contact center world, especially the outsourced contact center world. And uh, while I'm in the US, we hear a lot and increasingly more about South Africa as a service delivery point into markets like the US. I imagine also uh, into Europe. Um, and that the quality of- Especially Cape Town. Especially Cape Town. Okay, interesting. Yes. 
we just it, it is creating a lot of buzz here and i see on linkedin i'm friends with some of the people in the association the contact center association of south africa and the uh players there it says growing and growing and growing i, so I have to imagine mm -hmm. there's an amazing opportunity here to to increase the number of participants and their success rate in your program kudos to you for for doing that's really wonderful let's <laughs> Let's uh, wind down into what we call the final third of our podcast. Uh, we'd always like to ask our guests three questions, and I want to ask your feelings uh, on each of the three questions. Um, the first one we always like to ask our guests is take a common myth in the CX world and just destroy the myth, bust the myth. We call it a CX myth buster. I think you've provided some, some thoughts ahead of time. What is a CX myth that you would like to destroy? There is one definition of CX. There's no one definition of CX. Can't be. <laughs> Can't be. There is definitely. My question is if there's one definition, who gets to own to define, who gets to own the definition of CX? <laughs> An even better question, right? Who, who the hell are you? whoever it is, you get to define CX. Yeah, yes. I, I, I love that. That is that is so true. By the way, just sharing a separate thought, I, I'm friends with, we're friends on the podcast with Jeremy Watkin. Jeremy Watkin is someone who does so much on social media. He does a CX question of the day. And typically every day during the week, you'll see a CX question of the day. And okay. he asked a question the other day, just yesterday, I believe it was, is CX disruptive? And it's a great question, I, but my first thought was, and I love Jeremy and his, his idea is just to stimulate good discussion. My first thought was, what do you mean is CX disruptive? Like, there's so many other questions. Like, what is, what is CX? And I just love that yes. everything you just described here. Of course, there's not one universal definition of CX. And by the way, who are you, Mr. or Mrs. whatever, to define, to get the right to define? <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you this this is a great myth myth to bust uh let's ask you uh the next question i think you have two answers prepared cx quotes two quotes that resonate for you and you're thinking about cx what are they so the first one my very favorite one is trying to improve an, ex an experience of an, un of a, an unknown customer defeats the very nature of customer experience so a lot of the times you hear the guy saying we it's a customer experience improvement program. Who are you who are you improving the, the experience for? So trying to improve an experience of an unknown customer defeats the very nature of customer experience. It goes to the first point of your recommendations in your chapter, by the way, which is empathize yes. with your customers. Yes, yes. I like it. What is the second quote? So the second one is the question is not how you want customers to feel, but rather, how do they want to feel? Because remember, it's, it's their money. It's their money. I, I, I just recently wrote an article on LinkedIn that was saying that customer experience is not the, the best shoe. So it's not the, sometimes we make CX as the one solution to problems. It's not. CX is not the one solution to problem, business challenges. 
And it's not the solution to the problems that we necessarily think have to be solved. It's the solution to the problems that they, the customer, need to solve. Yeah. yeah. I like it very much. All right, I'm looking forward to this one. Who are your, who is or who are your CX heroes of the week? I have at the moment four. And out of the four, it's three women. And I'm sure you will understand why. <laughs> and one is a gentleman. <laughs> Tell us about who they are. So the first one is Debbie, Debbie Aquara. Debbie is based in West Africa. She is my CX hero because she is bold enough to lead the CX blueprint for West Africa. That, that for me makes her a hero. Excellent. I love this. Second Go one on. is Claire Musket. Claire Musket, another bold move for setting up the very first global woman in CX community. You can't get bigger than that. <laughs> you can't get bigger than that. And, and we've said this, Claire, if you're hopefully listening, we want to have you on the podcast. We want to interview you. We will learn more about women in CX. We've heard so much about you, but we want to be up close and be able to interview, interview you and hear you. By the way, uh, I think it would be wonderful to meet Debbie. I don't know Debbie. This is the first time I've heard of Debbie. But I <laughs> want to know Debbie. We have to make an effort to get Debbie on this program. As Follow well. her on Debbie Aquara, West Africa CX. Consider it done. It's the same. You cannot mention Debbie without West Africa. Who are your other, I think you have two more CX heroes, who are they? The other two, the other one is Michelle, Michelle Spout. She's from Delta Swan. Michelle and myself have embarked on a journey of pushing out content in an attempt to support business leaders with their day-to-day decision-making. And that is something that we both do at no cost. So she's a hero for me for giving her time into pushing out content and making a contribution to the lives of these business leaders and to the CX community as a whole. Excellent. And I think, do you have one more? Finally, it's Mr. Jonathan Daniels. <laughs> so Jonathan Daniels has been leading the global um, CX-centric conversations. I, I find him to be a hero because he has been running those um, the series of conversations at a time where it was really difficult for everybody. But he just showed and displayed this resilience and this commitment into getting people across the globe, including myself, you know, to take part in these conversations as a CX community. I'm proud of him. That's wonderful. And John is a future guest, is a future guest on the podcast. We look forward to having him here. He's certainly a wonderful contributor. To the community this, this was wonderful the only struggle that i have with this conversation in our, our session today mandy says i don't know how to conclude it because there were so many wonderful pieces of information <laughs> uh usually I, I i joke around with paul i'm usually the loud one in the podcast i say a lot uh, this is one that makes me pause to reflect and because you brought up so many different ideas new ideas it's difficult to summarize all of them and wrap them up into one tight little bow and package, but I would attempt to do it in the following way. Stand up okay. for what you believe in, 
help people who need help is good for business. Represent people that are not yet represented. Yes. Business. It's just good for business, and of course, it's good for humanity. It's the right thing to do, but it's not yes. only the right thing to do morally. It's also the right thing to do because the business outcome can and should be favorable. Yes. That's, that combination of things is, those are my takeaways from our interview today. Did I summarize that okay? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. You did perfectly. You did. Thank you. I appreciate that. Paul, this, this is a hard one. Paul and I usually look at each other at the end of a session and we... We kind of talk about it. I, I, <laughs> I wanted to give it the right level of um, the summary, accuracy, reflect it well, but, but the respect that it deserved. And this one, this one is hard. Was harder for me, but I, I, I hope I did it the justice that it deserved. Paul, I don't know. Do I get an A? A, a pass fail on that one? This is hard. <laughs> okay. uh, you, get, you get an A plus plus. I can do oh, A plus. Yeah, it's the top of the class. Um, Ladisa, what I'd like to say is you are, you're amazing. You are an amazing person and a human being. And what I love most is, that's this, I've got a list of things I love. So um, I love how enthusiastic you are and passionate you are, not just about CX, but about life in general and doing the right thing, right? And your CX mm -hmm. chapter, bang on, wonderful. But the bit that stuck out, stuck out for me was the project that you're doing. And that you mentioned that you see the potential in you know the 15 women that you're currently working with and the two the two that have been uh, who have been able to secure full-time employment which is great news i also think that you don't realize the positive impact that you're having on their lives and their family lives which i think is you can't put into words you are one in a million and i i for me my life is much richer to simply, I know we've never met face to face, but to know you, uh, <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. And the fact that you got the red and white memo as well, just, it's just, it's brilliant. Thank Yay! you so much. <laughs> well done. Well done. Paul, as he begins the, the podcast session, he, he, we always say it because it, it, we do, we feel this energy when we begin the session. Mm -hmm. The trick is when we end the session, do we still feel buzzing and still feel that energy? And if I were to take a guess from both of us, uh, we feel probably two, three, four, ten times the energy because Absolutely. of how <laughs> what we've shared together. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. As as we're we're gonna wrap up today's session because I, I want to let Mendisa go. It's the end of the week here. Um, Again, the name of the session today, why, diversi why diversify your CX strategy with a question mark? And I hope that audience, as you've listened, we've all learned why we should diversify our CX strategy. This was season two, episode 27, as we always ask our listeners at the end. If you liked this content, if you like our, our programming, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Please share feedback with us. If you like and love, please tell us. If you hate or if you have suggestions, also share, we want to know, uh, taking um, Mendisa's recommendation, I want to empathize with our customers, you, our audience. We want to understand what you want and like so that we don't do to you 
what the bank did to Mandisa and fellow customers. We've learned, we've learned. Uh, share feedback with us. We're interested in the voice of our podcast listener. Uh, Mandisa, once again, you were uh, just a, a, um, a wonderfully challenging, thought-provoking, unifying voice uh, in the CX community. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you so much. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Paul. Have a beautiful weekend. I will certainly have a beautiful one. Thank you so much. Thank you once again, audience. Tune in next week for our next guest, which we will announce shortly. Just follow us on LinkedIn uh, and other social media and look forward to our next session. We certainly do. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.